It is with great pleasure that I am here today with two guys that have an amazing business that I follow keenly. You probably noticed, guys, that I follow you so closely because I love what you stand for. And it's the lads from the lifeboat. Uh-huh. I adore your TikTok first and foremost. Thank you. I love what I think you stand for. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you. So there's two V in this magical team that bring to life truly exquisite food and an amazing experience in a very beautiful location. But tell me individually who you are and then we'll talk about the business. Yep. Um, well, I'm Davis and I am uh, front of house. So I run the, the service. Um, and yeah, that's basically me. <laughs> and I'm Martin and I'm in the kitchen. So I oversee all the food side of the business. And we have a gas pub in Court Macherry, West Cork. And we're on the Wild Atlantic Way between Clonakilty and Kinsale. Oh, what a great location, actually. What great goalposts. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It took us a while. We were Love it. For something along the coast. And I think we found somewhere that wasn't too isolated. But at the same time, you know, you, you'd close to the city... You're close to Kinsale, Clonakilty. So, you know, I think we got a nice spot here. Well, you know what they say, there's no such thing as luck. But I hear what you say, you feel as if you got lucky. And it's funny, I love the whole thing where if you put it out to the universe, it responds. Um, so there's there's a little bit of that that goes on. So this place found you and you found it. Absolutely. That's probably safe to say. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And tell me about the location. So has it always been food and drink orientated? It would have always been a tourist destination, um, more so for the domestic market. Um, you would have had a lot of people from the city coming down to Court Macherry back in the olden days when there was a train directly from the city down to the village, down to the coastal uh, village. The village itself is by the water. So on one side you have the village and oh. directly over Court Macherry Bay. So it would have been a, a, a destination for the city people. Long time ago, there was beautiful tea rooms all along the village. And, you know, you had the beach, oh. walks. So it always was um, historically a tourist destination. Um, the pub itself was it's it. for, um, I think, well over 100 years. Um, it was actually uh, oh. by um, Beamish Crawford, the brewery, and they used to lease it out. Uh, yeah and then it was bought and um, so yeah for the last I'd say for the last 20 years it's always done um, food and beverage Um, I think we just took it and put a little bit more emphasis on the food side of things Um, and just that's our background and we kind of we pushed that element of of the pub forward Um, so yeah so out of curiosity you've just told me that it used to be owned run sublet by Beamish is there something on your menu to reflect that piece of heritage uh I suppose we have a Guinness and chocolate cake it's not quite Beamish we tried with Beamish but we we, we gave it a go so I suppose you could say it is inspired by that you know the thought was there so, so it's, it's more like <laughs> Beamish to, to put Guinness on <laughs> I love it. And a question, an interesting question, because this podcast is for business owners. That's really 
where I want to bring this to life, to give business owners a space to learn, grow and develop with other businesses and also give them a map of where they need to go and visit and go and meet other like minded people that they may fall madly in love with through these podcasts because my issue is I fall in love with everyone I get to interview you know because I just love their story and so for you and your business do you think you steered towards an already functioning property within food and drink within that space or were you open to the idea of creating a new space with a change of use do you remember when you started that journey what was your criteria in in particular yeah, so I suppose we were looking for a long time for the right building um, and we're always people who would be open to, you know, not exactly following the path that we may want. We're always open to maybe, I don't know, turning something into more of an accommodation business. Um, but I think we let the business develop naturally. We didn't come in and say, oh, we're going to open a seafood restaurant or we're going to do this and this is what color the walls are going to be the business has naturally developed as we've been here and we've allowed that space to kind of let the customers define what they wanted what we wanted and most importantly for us to reflect cork west cork and irish hospitality along the way so i think for uh, i think for us we were um we were very open to go whatever I suppose the business took us. Um, we weren't. We were happy to do more fine dining, or we were happy to do more casual. We hadn't set ourselves in stone um, because we didn't know what the business was going to be. We just knew we wanted a business in in West Cork, um, and so if it was going to be a small little fine dining restaurant, or if it was going to be a gastropub, we were willing to to go along with it. Um, and I think that's really stood to us that. Um, we were open to let less of that. And even when we, we bought the lifeboat in, we, again, we didn't, we were talking about changing the name. And then when we came and found lifeboat in, we we're like, you know, it's one of the oldest lifeboat stations in, in the country. And we were like, this is <gasps> a part of the community. So we just walked on it. We didn't change it. Yeah. And so I think that's the main process the whole way along. And when we kind of started to do refurb inside in the pub, it was important that we did it with respect to, to the, to the community, community and yeah. to the past and, and let, let it flow naturally, you know? That's, that's very powerful to give yourself grace and time to find your feet, to feel. And it's funny, the majority of people are not willing to reflect customer requirements in their decision-making decision, decision making because ego can get in the way um, and even that assessment piece of what's working, what's not working and amending it with grace and dignity without feeling as if somebody has slapped you across the, the face or or that you've fallen down. So even just to hear that whole description is quite empowering. And I think the message for a lot of people is the customers are the ones with money. So, yes, build it and they will come. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, it will make more sense to be specific but to also allow people to know that there is a segment in the market that need to be quite relaxed. Mm -hmm. So your space, your area, your location, you needed to understand fully why people would come to you. So I love that you gave yourself grace and time. That's quite something. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, um, I suppose it's important, to, especially when we went from the area, yeah. to kind of get a feel for, mm. for um, again, Cook McSherry is quite a seasonal, a seasonal um spot 
So therefore you have two sides to the coin. So you have to get to know your local yes. winter and what, what they like and what they want. And then the flip side of the coin was you need to wait and find out what the, the customers down from Dublin or from Cork City or, or from, you know, can sell what they want. And then you try to find a back yeah. and all that. <laughs> Love it. And it is, it is finding that balance, but it's being gentle with yourself. I say that mindfully, not not to, um, oh God, not to take the piss, but I really, really genuinely mean it. To be gentle with yourself, to monitor and watch your business, yeah. um, without being so strict and stern, uh -huh. because a real business will grow and progress, and a real business will um cut off dead weight, mm -hmm. and then they'll bring forward those dishes or, 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 or even for that front of house that level of experience that's on offer is there rooms for improvement that didn't work why didn't it work I see that now I'll amend that I'll approach it differently yeah. and that's the true nature of a really good business because it's transient as hell isn't it yeah. like hospitality the ups and the downs are serious but the offering to keep it moving and growing and to keep it fresh and alive that's your power play that's it yeah. seems from me sitting here in my very interesting seat, that's what I'm getting from you two. Yeah, yeah. We, we like so we, we we do our best to kind of, you know, keep keep the keep the product fresh and, and keep it moving and I suppose and, it's about longevity as well, that you can't be, you know, too caught up on trends. You can't, you know, trends come and go so quickly and they're so fickle. But for us it's always the long term vision of a business that will withstand all the trends for the next thirty years but allows us to have a job where we can settle into a rural community and have a lifestyle for ourselves that, you know, so we don't get too caught up on what's going on around us. It's more the, the, the real crux of the business is providing a service, number one, but to almost be a hub for a village as well, like, you know, and anything else we do then is kind of secondary. Oh. I love that. So even to take a minute, how do you create work-life balance? For the first three years, we didn't. We didn't. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a learning curve. Yeah, yeah. It's so hard. It really is because our personal lives and our work lives are so intertwined. Um, but we do, we do try and set boundaries. It is hard. Um, like we do this year now for winter, especially, we really are being mindful of taking time off and going abroad having the personal space to kind of you know switch off but it's so difficult when you are in a small business like ours and you are so hands-on to kind of find that balance of work and your personal life i don't think it's not easy it really isn't easy you know i think one of the few um benefits to COVID for the hospitality sector um was it taught a lot of people that if you just stop for a minute that the world doesn't crumble around you um i've seen it particularly down here in west cork i've seen situations where you have publicans in their 70s never took a day off open seven days a week doesn't don't go on holidays covid came and they were like what have we done like and they've gone back now doing maybe five days a week or something and they take the time so we were like we're not waiting until 70 to take a day off <laughs> we need to we need to just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so we are good for going i love that yeah we do make an effort to, uh, we eat out a lot. So let's say we're closed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday now at the moment. We could head up to Dublin for a couple of days and eat in like, I don't know, loads of restaurants in the three days that we're there. Or we could, you know, go abroad for a city break or 
go up to Galway or Kerry, like really explore what's out there as well. And that 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 for us is our switching on, you know, to go to uh, a pub up the country or a Michelin star restaurant or a cafe and see what other people are doing. And that for us is how we kind of switch off and enjoy ourselves and kind of find our balance in that kind of a way. Oh, it's so huge, isn't it? Because it's very difficult for, for, I think it's probably one of the main industries where if you're in it, you love it, you thrive in it, you, you marry it, like yeah. you forget everyone else and you end up marrying the industry. And so even for you guys to be able to relay that creating a work-life balance isn't easy, it isn't straightforward, but it takes a mindful approach where you push yourselves to put in place lovely and fun and interesting excursions and experiences not only that nourish you both because let's face it our industry we eat sleep drink it even in our feckin off time yeah like we do not get away from it and i hear you i love this industry yeah. i live for it and it's very hard for me to explain to people who aren't in the industry that even when I'm in a restaurant and if they feel as if I'm a beta critic, it's not. I'm having the time of my life. Yeah. Like I am loving it. I'm like, oh, it's a pity now they served it like that. Or it's a pity um that was the 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 initial opening to our experience here. Like I'm loving it because I'm yeah. like, oh listen, there's so many little things they could do to help themselves. For me, it's not working. That's what I do in my quiet time. So I love that you brought that up because I know for a long time I struggled with the balance. I struggled to to be normal like other people. And yeah. when I fully realized that I'm not normal, that I am married to hospitality, that my quiet time, my off time, my lifestyle is surrounded by fucking hospitality. God forgive me. So thank you for bringing that up. But also, I admire the fact that you put in place situations, scenarios and experiences that fill your cup. And yeah. so that's really important. Yeah, well done for that. Because it's not easy. Yeah. So a question then. Tell me about your background. Because I see what you have achieved through your TikTok. And even listening to you talk. It's amazing. But I have no doubt that your backgrounds are colourful with experience. Tell me about both of you. Martin, go first. Yeah. So um, I always knew I was going to take a career in chefing. Um, you know, once I left school, I really didn't do well in school. I really struggled in school with the academic side of it. Um, so a job for me that I was going to, you know, I knew once I left school, I needed to do something where I'm working with my hands, with my mind and, you know, doing something physical. Um, so I suppose chefing kind of ticked a lot of those boxes. And I suppose watching TV, the, the cooking programs, the master chefs and all these kind of programs really inspired me and kind of gave me hope. No, my life doesn't have to be so academic and I don't have to take you know mm. the same path that a lot of people are taking so from that I went after school I went to CIT to do professional cookery and I worked in the Hayfield Manor and we were living in Cork City that's where we met Dave was doing uh, FOSS he was doing plumbing and so we kind of met in Cork so that's the start of our journey um, but I suppose we were always the kind of people who wanted more out of life. You know, we, we were living in York City with great social circle, with good jobs, but we kind of wanted more. We kind of wanted more something for ourselves. Um, so we looked at moving to London because um, that seemed to be where the hub of hospitality was. Yeah. So I, we moved to London. I went to work in Le Gavroche with the Rue family. 
and David was working in Shea Bruce and for Gordon Ramsay on Royal Hospital Road. So that exposed us oh. to, to, to a, like a world that we would never have been exposed to in Ireland. Um, I suppose in a lot of ways, we were like lambs to slaughter going to London, you know, considering our backgrounds at home <laughs> and what the London hospital scene is, because I tell you now, without going into too much detail, it is cutthroat and it is, it is aggressive and it is, you fight for your place. So we went over there into battle. Yeah. <laughs> I've really been... Holy sh... Yeah. Um, like... Yes. It's all the stories you hear, but people don't talk about. Um, so that really opened our minds. We got I'm putting my, my hand up. Can we can we do a separate podcast on that? Uh, yeah. I don't know. We've signed non-disclosure agreements up to our arms. <laughs> I, f- I feel like you might have had. Sorry to yeah. interrupt uh, you. That, that's that, incredible. Carry on. Sorry. Even even thinking back to it, it's hard to kind of digest um, what you what not not that we went through anything very bad. We had very positive experiences in London, but you know. Um, it is hard to kind of digest and explain to people what it actually is like, the reality of working in hospitality in London. Um, so I suppose that benefited us in a lot of ways because the lifeboat in is the total opposite of all that uh, London hospitality is. Um, you know, so it's very positive down here. We have a great working environment. We really enjoy the, the work we're doing here, you know, so it's all very positive. Um, so after, yeah, we went to London, or sorry, after London, we moved to Dublin and this was really good because the food scene in Dublin was really taking off at that stage. It was about 2014. Um, I was working in chapter one with Ross Lewis. That was amazing. A really, really good experience. And Dave took over as restaurant manager in Clifftown house. So once again, we, you know, we're on from London and do something really beneficial um and we learned a lot and then from dublin we moved down to cormac sherry oh my god i love it oh my god david bring me on your journey and then i have a question for you both uh, yeah uh, martin kind of had it all summed up there uh, i was doing a plumbing course and part, part of the course was um the college stint in cork that's where i met martin and then the recession came um, and I'd always worked in the hospitality since I was like 12 in a gastropub back in tip. Um, so I started there collecting glasses and, and by the time I left, I was kind of running the bar and stuff. Um, so then when the recession came and I wanted to move down to Cork to be with Martin, the natural progression was to try to fall back into hospitality. Um, so I got a job in a restaurant in Cork. And then, like I said, we went to London. And I was very, very lucky to get a job in Shea Bruce. Magnificent restaurant. Really, really progressive. Um, the sommelier there, Katie, like I went over there with no knowledge of wine. And she was like, every time oh. the bottle, she tasted it, obviously. But she, anything special she'd open, she'd keep a little bit aside for me. And be like, David, try this, try this. Really encouraged uh, me on the wine trip. So, wow. Shea Bruce, like... Couldn't, couldn't speak highly enough of that restaurant. They taught me everything. And then from there, I knew we were in London for a short period. So I kind of wanted to go to the very top if I could. So we tried, uh, I applied for a job in Gordon Ramsay's Tree Star in Chelsea. 
And yeah, I went there. And that was cray cray. <laughs> but really good. <laughs> and then back to Ireland and I went to the townhouse uh, as restaurant oh. there. And I spent, I think, about three, just three years there, um, which was brilliant. And Martin came, as he said, to work there, which was brilliant because at that stage we knew we wanted to open our own place. And I kind of wanted to be able to work together. And, and I mean, I always say, if we're going to argue, we may as well argue with someone else's pound black, you know, <laughs> not on our own. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I went iron out all the creases and see you know we may as well see can we work together when it's not our own place because when you open your own place there's so much stress anyway so we may as well get used to working mm. together when it's when we don't have that stress um so i think that helped us an awful lot because we had that working dynamic already um so when we, we weren't just coming in straight in like never work together and so yeah then we came down here and the rest is history I I love I love your journey. I love where you started and where you've ended up and what happened in between. And very high end, very reputable establishments to learn and grow within. And I suppose my question is, did you have a strategy in Cork to tick certain boxes with an end goal in mind? No, I think is a short answer of it. Um I suppose it's all well and good um, working in fine dining and say you've worked here and you've worked with Gordon Ramsay and you've worked with the Rue family. But at the end of the day, when you open a pub in rural Ireland, it needs to translate to your customer, you know. So I suppose we took elements from what we learned in London, like the ethos of using um, local produce, seasonal produce, um, customer service. You know, even though we can't bring the, the high-end dishes we can bring the um, ethos of those restaurants, you know, and translate that into a country yeah. and translate that into our style of hospitality and, and I suppose, make it your own. We were very open to um, what kind of business we were going to have. I mean, we spent, we spent I'd say, a year, if not two years, if not longer, um, walking around um, Marion Square in the garden, the park there on our break, and we would just chat about different concepts. <gasps> and we would talk about fine dining restaurants, casual restaurants. I mean, I always had this concept of, of having a more fine dining restaurant. Martin always had a concept of, you know, I'd love, I'd love a pub. And so we would just shoot the breeze, like have, have chats about hypothetical things we could happen, you know? Yeah. And so when we found the building, we had a lot of the, the ideas. Bashed yeah. out, even though we didn't know what business we were, we had everything oh. covered. So when we found the pub and we, we stood in the garden and we looked out at the sea, it just all made sense. And immediately, all those chats about having a gastro pub it just clicked, just went into place. Like, yeah, you know? yeah, I love it how it all can come together. But I think there's there's a couple of things in that. There's one important thing, you weren't on your own, either of you. You'd made this pack together, not only as partners in life, but also partners in business. So you had each other to go on this journey together. And look, my business is, as a food business coach, I become that person for a lot of people who are on their own. Mm -hmm. I become the bounce in the wall. And to be able to 
think big because what you did in that garden was that you thought big when you start to think big you energize yourself don't you you get excited you have something bigger than yourselves that you want to bring to life and if that doesn't scare you it drives you so it clearly drove you both but also to acknowledge giving yourself the time to dissect, understand, thrash out, because time is needed. But also give yourself time to understand the business, the the potential offerings, Mm -hmm. as in fully sitting in your experience, your knowledge, and what it is you're bringing to the table that you're going to create together, put you in a very beautiful position. So I'm, I'm going to ask a question. If somebody listens to this podcast who really wants to open their own business, would you recommend working in a number of businesses in order to gain the knowledge and expertise first if they feel they don't have enough gained yet and what else would you recommend to somebody who's thinking about opening their own business absolutely absolutely i like it mm. um to me to see people go into the hospitality business with no experience and think it's easy like, don't get me wrong there are people out there who have huge passion and dreams about doing something in hospitality and don't have the experience and they go into it and they make a huge success because the passion drives them that's very different than someone just deciding i'm going to open a pub or i'm going to buy a restaurant because it's for, it's for sale in the village and i, I want it you, you know this is hard work like any other industry and you need to know your trade um but definitely i would if you've never worked in hospitality you definitely because it's it's you know it it's a real you gotta love it um otherwise you'll hate it for mm. you have to do this and it'll eat you up and it'll mm. spit you out quicker than you can say hospitality yeah you know where if you go into it get a little bit of experience know that you love it then yeah. those all goes wrong you'll be like okay tomorrow's just a, a new day like and i would also say um, if you are if you do want to open a business i would say stop talking about it and start being active in what you're how you're going to achieve it whether it's writing down and goal setting, saving money, getting the experience, today is a day you start if you want to open your own business. I mean, we didn't open our business in 2017. We opened our business the day we decided we we're going to open our own place in West. You know, so I started off with saving the money, getting the experience, bashing out ideas. You know, it really is a labor, an intensive labor of love to be self-employed, like. And I know having that, the one other thing I always say is, um, I suppose it's easier for us because there's two of us in it, but we had huge, once you have a bit of experience, then you need to have the confidence. I mean, if we knew mm. every hurdle we were going to meet along the way, we would never have done it. <laughs> but when you throw yourself in and you have no choice, <laughs> a hurdle, get on with it. You, 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 you almost... Yeah get into survival mode when it comes to certain scenarios um but like that you just have to jump in and do it you literally have to just jump in and do it i love i love that advice and i love that you went backwards the day you opened your business was the day both of you decided that this was the journey you were going to go on that court mcsherry or west cork was going to be a big part of your life because you're going to open your own business I think that's an incredibly powerful piece because it is, it's the pre-prep, mise en place for crying out loud, mise en place prior to even securing an establishment is as important as securing an establishment and writing a menu to design a kitchen. So it is, it's that 
back, back steps. Go back, go back, go back before you ever even start. And I think that's an immense amount of nuggets to to give to any of the listeners on this podcast, which is brilliant. Something else I want to know. Um, there's two things. One is about your hurdles, if you don't mind talking about them. And two, really want to talk about, is it incredibly frightening knowing that the inflation and electricity hikes are coming fast and furious and what the hell are you doing about it? So let's back it up um, and start with that and just go hell for leather and I won't interrupt. Um, so first off, I would say the hurdles. Um, hurdles. Well, I would, it's everything from like, yeah. for example, um, I would have known about um, the things like VAT and and all that from from um, Clifton House, we, you know, we were quite hands-on in the, um, we used to have a financial meeting every morning. So I had a great concept of, you know, like, you know, how much is going to um, GP and wage cost, which, you know, a lot of places wouldn't have. So I had that advantage. But just mm-hmm. how much money um, the employer has to pay to employ. I never forget my first PRSI bill. I was like, what? <laughs> Where does this come out of life? Things like that that you just don't think of. You know you have to pay VAT, but you just don't think about PRSI or the uh, HR is always a, a big issue when, when you have your own place. Mm-hmm. Insurance um, is something you never really, you know the place has to be insured, but you just know, don't, don't know the, the level of insurance. Um, and it's things like that. It's, it's, it's the financial hurd- hurdles that people don't talk about um, when you open a business. That like the, the costs involved with opening and running a business is so relentless. Like, um, so you really need to be prepared for that, mentally prepared, really more than anything, because once you're open, once your business is open and the customers come in, you can navigate your way through your through your costs in the beginning. But, you know, it's being mentally prepared for that hurdle of, you know, the influx of bills and what it takes to run a business and open a business. Um, I suppose at the moment, what we're seeing is so unprecedented and it, it's frightening. Like it's, it's really, really frightening. It's heartbreaking to see so many businesses closing already. You know, we almost, mm. you could see, the industry could see that this was coming, but I don't think anybody saw the amount of closures happening so soon. Like maybe in January we would have seen this, but this week alone is frightening to see what is going on yeah. in the hospitality sector with the rising costs. And it just feels like no one is doing anything to help. I think it's... Um... The problem with the industry is that it's just been a battle. Like, this is not just energy crisis. Um, there are people out there who have been struggling for four or five years mm-hmm. trying to find chefs and find staff, and that's a major crisis. Then we've had to try to come back through COVID. And, you know, I thing I found really tough in the hospitality sector for COVID was customers expected you to be at their level of um, fear. So one guy could walk in and expect you to be completely freaked out about COVID and the very next customer could waltz in and have no mask and nothing and expect you to be like, that's all okay. And you had to try to balance every customer. Um, so you had all that. Yeah, wow. And then here we are coming out of another crisis and straight away, boom. Mm-hmm. But there's another blow with energy, crisis, yeah. energy costs, you know. Um, and yeah, it's just it's for a lot of people. It's just relentless, and they're just you just want out. You know, yeah. you can't blame them. I suppose for us, you can only yeah 
can only deal with what's in front of you. Um, winter for us is always a struggle anyway. You know, we're always mindful of the costs, and you know, there's there's not there's there's not many customs around. So I suppose for us, we're just taking it week by week, um, booking by booking, and just making sure that the people that are coming to the pub are having a good experience and that they do feel like they're getting value. Mm. From you know, we've really, I've really, especially adjusted the food menu to kind of bring down the price point. You know, for the winter months because you just got to give people you just have to make sure that people are getting value for money number one you know while at the same time surviving like so it's it's very tough you know there's no there's no to say like oh you know this is how we're doing it it's hard yeah out of curiosity what did you do with your menu to decrease that price point so you you took it apart you sat back you took an aerial view of that menu and how did you go about that process because there's so many people now that they're absolutely petrified and they don't know where to begin and so you eat an elephant with small bites because we cannot make huge changes overnight we simply can't because the overwhelm will fucking kill us Mm -hmm. so if we take one job at a time one recipe a day over the next two weeks how must we go about that yeah so i suppose for us or sorry for the menu um during summer for example we'd always have the prime fish on like the scallops would always be on for a starter the john dory's the black soles and monkfish we'd always have that on during the summer i suppose this year we kind of paired that back and did more interesting things with the likes of hake and all these kind of stuff, mussels, um, you know, the seafood chowder. Like, people come to us for seafood. We're not changing that, but we're just offering a different kind of seafood. And the same now during winter. Um, so, for example, let's take something. I think I think it's, it's Martin's very much about um, supply and demand. Yeah. So, Jira wants to eat during summer. Chicken became very expensive. Yeah. So, Martin just said, I'm not doing chicken yeah. Because I'm not paying for that chicken until the price comes down. And sure enough, two months Oh, ago, I love that. And we started buying chicken again. Yeah. And so I think like that, like at a certain point, certain, something would become too expensive. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm not putting it on the menu anymore no. because it it's almost, too expensive. It almost, um, let's say, for example, uh, someone somewhere decides steaks are now super expensive. But it doesn't matter because people are going to buy them anyway. Whereas I would have the opposite opinion. I'm like, well, no, I'm not going to offer steak. Let's do something like beef cheek. It's beef. If someone wants beef, you know, we can. We, we don't have to be boxed in or, or forced to, to overpay on ingredients that weren't, you know, as expensive before. So there are little, little things here and there that you can tweak to kind of, you know, soften the blow of the relentless price increases. Like. And I think you just have to be mindful when so you if- that... You do have something. You have to. You have to put something on the menu that if someone comes in and they're on a budget, that you're not forcing them into a situation where they have to pick something out of the budget on the menu. So we're always very conscious to have something yeah. always at that price point. Um, that there will be something here that you know two or three options at this price point that you can you can have. And then if you want to put on your your more expensive stuff, that's all well and good. But it's important if someone comes in and sits down at the table that they're not going. Oh wow, this is going to cost me a lot of money. They've got to be accommodated. Yeah. Um, it's funny I, I created a master class and I, I'm desperate for people to do it and it's in menu planning and design 
and I have more coming along to do with the menu. So menu costing. So really tailored towards that. And what you're talking about is menu engineering, which is a massive part of putting together a proper menu. You can steer and encourage spending through menu engineering. And so what I'm hearing with your menu adjustment, you're looking at the cash contribution of the dish to the business. If you, for example, say steak is really highly priced. If you take steak and you you agree to take steak and you agree to put it within prime real estate on your menu, but the cash contribution of that dish to your menu is minimal. However, the quantity of it being ordered is actually putting the kitchen under pressure and it's not bringing in the cash contribution to the business. And so for me, that mindful approach of you guys being able to take that aerial view, understanding fully that the decisions you make impact every aspect of your business from the customer choosing to the cash contribution in the till to your overhead spend cost forecasting and ingredients purchasing power it's this is absolutely paramount to every business to fully understand that the impact and decisions they make can make or break their business so i love that you brought that up and i hope you've enjoyed my summary and that's where we were yeah. all going because yeah. i feel it was no, super. Excellent. <laughs> and it is, it's absolutely fascinating to have a grip on your business. It's hard work, but once you get the grip on your business, then you are running a business. You're able to work on the business and no longer in the business. So even going back, David, to what you spoke about, your experience in the Cliff House, you had morning meetings about accounts and spend. So the the books to understand fully what happened yesterday uh, uh, helps you make decisions for today. And to live in that real time is really important for a food business, whereas the majority of businesses are a minimum of three months behind. Yeah, yeah. Of knowing what's going on. Yeah, no, and that's frightening, isn't I it? So um, we're no means now that we're down here and we don't have a... Um, a bookkeeper on site to, to get the figures ready every morning. Um, we're definitely not as sharp as, as the Cliff Townhouse was. Um, but definitely it has instilled in me a really good sense of cost. Um, like I am that, I'm the guy that loves to sit back and randomly, like last week I was like, we got um, hot wire scrubs from um, one company and we normally get from another company. So I was like, Guys, these pot scrubs are 50 cent more from this company. What are we doing? I'm sure they're looking at me going, you're cracked. <laughs> but I just think- I love it. On top of your cost. Like I just randomly just pull an invoice and check. And it's such a healthy thing to do. <gasps> you can, you can be, you'd be amazed. Like for example, like Blue Roll. Some companies could be like 12 euro pack more. And it's only when you look at it, you're like, wow, that's, that's crazy. And, and so if you just, I just randomly, that's my hobby. Pull, pull, pull invoices and check the price against oh. the company. And it's it's really, really healthy thing to do within your business. And David, if we were to say, so for anyone listening to this, let them choose a blue roll or wire scrubs in their business. So whatever's most relevant to them. But I also, I want them to write down exactly how many they would use in a day, in a week, in a month and in a year. And then I want them to multiply those um, figures by the savings because if we do not look at what the impacts of our decisions are making on the bottom line of our business we're absolutely fucked 
Absolutely. Uh, the number one thing I always remember that, that um, I learned in a, in a financial meeting above in Dublin was in the hospitality sector, you need to make three euros. Uh, you need to sell something for three euros to make one euro. So it's much, much easier to save a euro than to make a euro. If you can save one euro, you've, oh. you've pushed three euros of sales. And so, like, if you can save money anyway, oh, it's so important. And the other thing that, that it's very important about is companies change the price of products all the time. And they're really poor at telling you that they've increased the price. So, for example, wine is a perfect example, or, or, or minerals. A company could add uh, two euros to a bottle of wine, and if you're not on top of it, you've sold that wine for 12 months, and your, 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 your GP's gone down. So you've got to keep on top of it. If the price moves, you've got to move your price. Or at least you need to have the discussion about moving that price and see, am I going to take the haircut or can I pass it on? But not knowing is, is the real killer, you know? I spoke to a woman in the last week, fabulous woman. She's self-employed, has a food business. And she's in business 2015. So that's going on, that's seven years. And she would say that the first two years of her business was absolutely harrowing. She was on her own. She she didn't have anyone else around her or, or with her. So she was basically an island, not understanding fully how to reach out, not fully under, not having, I think, the, the words and the questions um, that were absolutely essential for her to do business well or to do business better. I bring it up because for the first two years of her business, she trusted certain suppliers to do her well without question questioning them. Something happened one day and it was an awful day for her and she learned that she had lost so much money by not questioning. Yeah. Because she was being so overly charged because she assumed, because uh, 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 by assuming we make an ass out of you and me, isn't that the whole point of the letters? Yeah. A-S-S-U-M-E, ass you me. So by assuming we can lose a hell of a lot of money. So I love that you brought that up. I love that you spot check. I love that you're able to go on a deep dive. So down a rabbit hole to find the solution and put the solution in place within that same moment. So essentially what you're doing is you're eating the frog. By eating the frog, you tackle um, um, a task in your business that sometimes may not be overly pleasant, but you get deep dive into it and you come out with a fucking solution and implement yeah, absolutely. It, it's 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 vital. Yeah. Particularly, I think when you take over a business, um, like we again, I, I I again I suppose I knew more suppliers because I worked in Dublin. Um, but when we took over here, um, I looked at all suppliers. We changed, I would say, 50, 60 percent of suppliers, and those suppliers came to me and were like, "But we've been doing business here for years." I'm like, "I know, but you're thirty percent more expensive." So, you know, oh. constantly coming, previous owners were like, but yeah, they've always been here, you know, that's not, the, you can't do that. You've got to look after your own bottom line and, and check and you'd be amazed um, how much you can save. Anyone who's in business now and who hasn't been checking their figures, if you sit down and look at it, I guarantee you they'll probably be able to save 30% straight away. Amazing. Yeah. To take that alone from this podcast would be outstanding. And especially we spoke about that, the, the, the serious decline in, in what's happening on the cold front of hospitality in Ireland at the minute is absolutely frightening. And so businesses have feel as if they have no choice. But they've also looked into it. They know they have no choice. Mm. So it's, it's they're falling between two lines, aren't they? They have no choice and they feel like they have no choice. And they're now having to close their doors. So 
for other businesses that may be teetering on the edge, if they can do that immediately, if they can prioritize that and prioritize their time and do that atomic focus in this area, they will make vast improvements. So I love that nugget. And thank you both for sharing that because that's very valuable. Cheers. Yeah. So what is the future like? So between now and Christmas, what's on offer? Why are we coming to see you? Bring me there now. What, what am I going there for? So I'm going to jump in straight away and say, come down for a Sunday lunch. Um, this time oh. of the year, I, I'm obsessed with Sunday lunch because the weather is poor, but come into life, but in the stove is lighting, the potatoes are cooking, the soup is boiling, you know, and it's a real family atmosphere. <laughs> And I just love that so much this time of the year. Um, and then even Saturday nights is more of like, you know, the buzz of like coming out for dinner with your friends or to celebrate a birthday. So we really focus on the Saturday night and the Sunday lunch kind of um, marketing side of it because we really love it. Like there's such a nice feeling around mm. that time of year, you know. So I think even what I take from that Martin, is that the food and the experience are so intertwined to create something quite special and memorable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's welcome. Um, it's open for everyone. Like, you know, there's no there's no like such thing as getting dressed up and coming down. Come as you are and just be as you are is our kind of thinking, you know. And I suppose it's love it. Kind of a, our business is a a kind of, of two sides. So some people love the the I mean, some people love to come down in summertime when there's a queue to get into the garden and the place is thronged and we're all running around trying to keep up. And then some people like to just wander in and have a pint at the bar and chat to me for 20 minutes because I have the time to do it now. So it's kind of, it's we get both sides. Um, so this time of year, it's definitely a slower pace, but there's a niceness to that too, yeah. you know? There's, there's, there's an honesty to it. Yeah. Oh, I love it. You guys, I can't thank you both enough for literally letting me into your home as I look at you both. And also for being so feckin' transparent and honest. Because for me, the reason I've gone on this journey within the podcast, not so much to promote me and my business, but there has to be a place where people can connect and learn from each other. And I find it very hard for businesses to know how to do that if they aren't associated with some sort of company or award and by doing that you have to pay for the privilege whereas by doing this nobody has to pay any money this is a completely free service where it is that open transparent honest introduction to businesses it's the ups and the downs it's the tools and the nuggets it's to add immense value in the privacy of someone's home so thank you for allowing me to bring to life my vision of this podcast and for both of you showing up and being so fabulous as wonderful guests thank Thanks you so much for thank having us. us yeah yeah cheers. thank you so much we love it <laughs> oh well give me give me a contact number give me your socials and that'll be the end of this so everyone can find you easily so the best way to find us is to put the lifeboat in court mcherry into google and we are on everything we're on linkedin facebook instagram twitter tiktok check out the tiktoks the tiktoks are great fun yeah so <laughs> i love it yeah. so you're fine everywhere we're everywhere <laughs> the lifeboat i in. love it well guys 
the lifeboat in i can't wait to come on a sunday you have sold it so well to me this is how i love my winters because yeah. i love winters because i'm a winter baby so you're in my life now and i'm never going to let you go <laughs> Super. <laughs> Bye. Adios amigos. Bye. Talk to you soon. Bye bye bye.